Well, I was going through a couple of books, uh, and one of the books that I came across was a book written by uh, John Gottman. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with John Gottman, he's this legendary uh, psychologist who is an expert in marriage and relationships uh, and is known all throughout the world. In fact, uh, he does his studies at the very own, our very own University of Washington here in Seattle. In uh, in one of his books, he writes, or several of his books, he talks about uh, the four horsemen. And what he means by the four horsemen is this: there's four elements in any marriage and even relationships, and you can even boil this down to friendships and even in family, that are extra destructive. In fact, he has studies where where uh, where any of these four horsemen are shown, he can predict if, especially if it's a married couple, if that couple will eventually divorce. Uh, and in his book, he says he is ninety percent correct. And out of all the four horsemen, he says there's one in particular that is most toxic and most dangerous, uh, and it's the four horsemen called one of those uh, that's called contempt. It's this idea where the respect is gone. It's this idea where maybe one partner believes they are above or better than the other. And in his book called Why Marriages Succeed or Fail, Dr. Gottman says this, when contempt begins to overwhelm your relationship, you tend to forget entirely your partner's positive qualities, at least while you're feeling upset. You can't remember a single positive quality or act. This immediate decay of admiration is an important reason why contempt ought to be banned from marital interactions. Now this may sound like it's bad news because it is, uh, but Dr. Gottman also assures us that it doesn't have to end there. There's actually a solution for this. There's an antidote for contempt, which contempt leads to us forgetting and not remembering the good qualities of our partners, of our friends, of our relationships, which then completely deteriorates the relationship. He says that doesn't have to be the end of the story. There, there is a solution. He says this, the best way to measure fondness and admiration is to ask couples about their past. How did they meet? What were their first impressions of each other? How did they feel when they were around each other? If a relationship is in crisis, he says, partners are unlikely to elicit much praise by talking about the current state of affairs. Talking about happy events in the past, although, helps many couples reconnect. He ends with this, if a couple can revive their fondness and admiration for each other, by talking and remembering the past, they are more likely to approach conflict resolution as a team. And the growth of their sense of we-ness will keep them as connected as they felt when they first met. Now, Dr. John Gottman may be speaking of human relationships, but I'd argue uh, because we are wired in the way that we're wired, that our relationship with God is, is no different. 
in times of crisis, in times of conflict in our lives. Maybe it's during a pandemic. Maybe it's during isolation. Maybe it's during this sense of loneliness or when we're experiencing loss and uncertainty uh, and the uncertainty of what the future holds. Maybe it's just pure apathy. Whenever we're going through challenges, tribulations, trials, it's really difficult not only to want to connect with God, but to actually believe that God wants a better way for us. That God actually wants us to not just live, but to thrive. That's all about John 10, 10. That, he did, that, that God wants for us not just life, but abundant life. God wants us to flourish. And we forget that. We forget that God promises us that very life. And God promises that to God's own people in the scriptures. And God promises us that today, right now, wherever you are watching this, God promises and wants and desires and longs for you to not stay in the sense of crisis or conflict or hurt or pain, but to actually thrive. And the invitation that we find in Deuteronomy 6, like Dr. Gottman's advice to human relationships, is for us as followers of Christ that in times of struggle and hardship, which many of us are going through now or we will go through in the future. And if there's anything clear about what God promises, it's this, that in life we will go through trials and suffering and hurt and pain. That is a promise. But even enduring those times, as Dr. Gottman says, uh, in human relationships, uh, that the antidote, the solution for us is to remember the ways that God has worked in our lives in the past. And the truth, this truth is all, all over Scripture. It's not something Dr. Gottman invented. It's a truth that existed throughout all of the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see, all throughout the Bible, whenever there's hardship, whenever any of the characters in the Bible are experiencing hardship or suffering, it's typically followed by this command for them to remember. The word remember comes up over 250 times throughout Scripture. Now, are you going through a sense of trial, perhaps even a deep sense of hopelessness? Are you going through loss, heartache, anxiety, depression, confusion? If you are, the reminder today is this. Do not forget that God shows up. Do not forget that God shows up. So here's what the writer of, the, uh, of Deuteronomy says. There's three things that we'll look at. He says, essentially, trust in God's promises. One, trust in God's promises. Two, the writer understands that waiting, because oftentimes we have to wait. Waiting is hard. So trust in God's promises. Waiting is hard. Then three, remember the evidence. Remember the evidence. So let's talk real quick about trusting in God's promise. Uh, chapter 6, verse 10 of Deuteronomy, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, the land that God will give to you. And I just want to stop us right there. I love how this starts. First of all, the first word is when. 
when the Lord your God brings you out of this land. So you have to understand that uh, all throughout Scripture, God uh, tells people, commands people to remember when God rescued uh, God's own people, the Israelites, out of slavery, out of bondage in, in Egypt and delivered them to the promised land. Anytime they're suffering, anytime they're complaining, God says, remember when I rescued you. It miraculously even uh, opened up the waters from the cr- for them to cross into a better life, to a better place. Now, in Deuteronomy 6, the text that we just read, at this point, the rescuing hasn't quite happened yet. At this point, they're still wandering in the desert. When they're going from, from Egypt to, to Canaan, they're, they're on the journey, but they're not at the promised land, which is filled with milk and honey. They're not there yet. They're still in between on this detour, complaining and groaning and and being filled with disbelief. Like, God, where are we? God, why did you bring us to this place? God, are you here to kill us, uh, for us to die here? They're lost in the sense of anger and bitterness, and they complain. And they even at one point, or several points say, We'd rather go back to Egypt. We'd rather go back to what we're used to than go towards the unknown. Now, that is the ultimate sense of hopelessness, to actually believe that a better day could actually come. But pay attention to what the writer of Deuteronomy says. He says, when the Lord brings you into this land. When indicates something that's futuristic because it, it, it hasn't happened yet. The actual crossing over into Canaan, the land filled with milk and honey, uh, that promise has not been, in, been completed yet. Yet there's this absolute, utter confidence that God will deliver on God's own promises, which, which God's been swearing for generations. Now keep in mind the promise where it says the promise that God made uh, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, depending on which chronology you look at, this was around three, this was a 300 year span. And so here God is making this promise that they will be delivered. And this promise hasn't come to fruition in 300 years. Could you blame them if at some point they disbelieve? that they lose hope. And yet the writer of Deuteronomy starts off, when this happens, even as 300 years have passed, uh, this writer still has utter confidence that when God said that God will come through and rescue them, that 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 will actually happen. It's like this writer has this childlike faith that Jesus talks about in the New Testament. Do you remember when you were younger and you felt like whatever your parents said to you was absolutely 100% fact? And maybe you look back and you're like, how did I ever fall for that? But there was a moment most likely in our lives that whatever our parents said, uh, that 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 was 100% fact. And there's nothing anyone could do to change your mind. A few years ago when Marie and I were just dating, uh, I decided to cook her dinner. 
and uh, the meal that I prepared for her uh, were eggs. Okay, I know it's not that creative, but oftentimes we eat breakfast for dinner, and I know some of you enjoy that too. And and I, I asked her, okay, as I cook these eggs, what? How do you like your eggs? What kind of eggs do you like? And, and as I asked that, I was expecting scrambled or over easy or medium or, or whatever it is. And her response was, uh, I like flatsy eggs. Uh, now, maybe it was just me, but I had never heard of flatsy eggs before. Uh, and I said, what are those? I don't think that's a thing. And with confidence, she said, yes. It's actually a thing. My dad used to make it for me every single morning uh, growing up. Uh, and she described what flatsy egg was. It's essentially, I guess you would describe it as an overhard egg where the egg is broken and it's cooked all the way through. Uh, and that's the way she liked it. And I said, okay, uh, well, here you go. Several, actually a few years later, I talked to her dad about it and I said, what are flatsy eggs that Maria keeps talking about? And he said, oh, he giggles and he says, uh, well, those were meant to be over easy eggs that I accidentally broke the yolk. Uh, and so I presented it to her as flatsy eggs. And so that's what she believed those to be. And I look at that story and there was just this utter belief in Maria uh, that these eggs were a thing, that these eggs were... Uh, something that was intentional and, and uh, that her dad prepared for her, which uh, the whole thing was a bit humorous. I mean, I, it was it was wonderful. It was great to, to see the, the childlike faith in Maria of her dad and the things that he offered her. And that is the kind of trust that we see in the writer of Deuteronomy. When, when he says, even after 300 years, there's this promise from generation to generation to trust God, that, that God will deliver you to a better place. And as we look into this text, I want you to uh, see two words. One is when, because that dictates a uh, utter confidence and utter faith when God delivers. And the second word I want us to focus on is the word uh, to swear, to swear by. God swore promise. This is Hebrew, Hebrew word Shiva, which means to make an oath. God made an oath that God promised that God would deliver. But the word Shiva also uh, is the same word as, or shall I say, the number seven. Seven was a holy number. I think many of us know that. It's a number of completion. We see that in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 in all of creation. That once God created and rested on the seventh day, everything was completed. A day of rest. And so what the, the word Shiva, what the word, uh, what the word to make an oath means is that when God promises, when God makes an oath to God's people about rescuing them, about delivering them, about this life of thriving and flourishing, it's in every, it's in, it's in your complete life. It's in every aspect, in every situation, no matter how challenging, no matter how difficult, no matter how hopeless it may feel, in everything, the promises of God applies to your life. 
in every circumstance, whether you want to believe it or not. That is God's promise, oath to us, is that in every situation, God will, not if, but God will come through. In Philippians 4, God says, I will be your strength. In Deuteronomy 31, God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Jeremiah 29, God says, I have a plan to prosper you. In Psalms chapter 6, I promise to hear your prayers. In Exodus 14, I will fight for you. In John 14, God promises, I will give you peace. So it's promise after promise after promise all throughout the Bible. And this writer of Deuteronomy, without a shadow of a doubt, says, when God comes through, man, that's the kind of faith that we need. That when God comes through, that God will come through in every aspect, your whole complete life, God will come through. I hope you believe that. May we believe that as a community. C.S. Lewis in his book, In Mere Christianity, he talks this way about God's promises. Either God in the Bible uh, is a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. God's either a lunatic or a liar in all these promises or Lord. And obviously, that's probably a little bit too linear of a way to look at it. But the point is this. The point is, for C.S. Lewis, uh, is, is to trust in the promises of God. In every situation, for all times. That God's promises will come through. And I get it. Some days, feels heavy and extra hopeless. You can't even imagine a better day, kind of like the Israelites, where they just want to go back to Egypt because I can't imagine something could be any better. The writer of Deuteronomy gets it. That waiting and waiting and waiting is hard. Maybe you get it. Waiting is challenging, especially in this society, in this culture, where everything is all about the instant to foods, to, to movies, to the things we watch, to purchases online. Everything is all about now, now, now. And so waiting becomes so challenging. And the reality is God does come through with God's promises for us to, to be delivered to a better life, to a better place. But oftentimes that requires waiting and waiting is so hard. In Deuteronomy 6 verse 13 to 14 it says, fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. The Israelites knew that waiting was hard, just like us today. There's even a story where the Israelites uh, sent Moses to go to on top of Mount Sinai to hear from God. Essentially, uh, the people wanted to hear from God through Moses. Moses was on top of the mountain, and uh, apparently he took too long. And so the scramble on the bottom of the mountain of, of the Israelites, you know, they were confused. They, they were uh, paralyzed by uncertainty. They were asking, when is Moses coming down? Essentially, when is God going to speak to us? When is God going to show up? God is late. God is silent. So out of their panic, 
they created this golden calf. They built this golden calf, which, by the way, uh, is a direct violation of the very first two commandments, commandments that they received just a few chapters before. Do not have uh, any other gods before Yahweh and do not have any images or idols. And that's exactly what they did. They built a golden calf to worship because they thought that God took too long. So out of their own panic, they had to build their own God, another God, to satisfy that quench of not knowing what the end of the story holds. Because waiting was too hard. And oftentimes, in our own waiting, that becomes hard. And we fall into this temptation to even build our own golden calf. It's easy to do, isn't it? During moments in crisis and suffering and challenges, we wonder, where is God? Just like the Israelites, when, when Moses went to the top of the mountain and didn't come down for a long time, we're like, God, where are you? Why are you silent? Why are you not showing up? Don't you know what I'm going through? And in that moment, it's easy for us to say, well, I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to find another God. Maybe it's in the form of a, a toxic relationship. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's uh, a longing for a job or material possessions or upward mobility. Whatever it is, in our panic and uh, our aversion to uncertainty, we create our own idols. Because waiting is hard. But I look back on the story of Israel and their journey from Egypt to Canaan. The Bible says it took 40 years to get from point A to point B. But many scholars believe uh, that if they didn't have it, so many detours, if they didn't get lost, if God didn't you know, make them go this way and that way and this way, if it was just a straight path from A to B, it would have taken around 11 days. 11 days. A 40-year journey that they took could have taken 11 days. But most scholars also believe that had they gone that direct route from point A to point B, that the route that would have taken 11 days, that straight shot to the promised land, they would have all been wiped out. They would have been destroyed because along that path uh, was several Egyptian military posts. Well, the people didn't know that at the time. And so they complained and they grumbled and they asked God to uh, bring them back. And yet God knew exactly what God was doing. The other people didn't know, but God knew exactly what God was doing. Waiting is hard. But whether you see it or not, whether you feel it or not, God is up to something. We don't know when. We don't know how. But God is up to something. We don't know why. Maybe God is protecting you from something and you don't know it. Maybe God is wanting to teach you something, something that you could have never learned in any other way. Maybe God is equipping you for the next season that God has planned for you. Maybe God is trying to change you and transform you. I don't know. 
but God is working in ways that oftentimes we can't see, we can't hear, we don't even know. And so it says to, uh, then it says in Deuteronomy, to, to serve God only and take your oath in his name. It says take your oath. It's the word Shiva. It's the same word that God uh, commits to us. And so the, the challenge and the encouragement, the invitation is for us to commit to God as much as God is committed to us. And in the meantime, in our waiting, we trust in God, in God's provisions, in God's promises. And in our waiting, we uh, remember, it's the same anecdote that Dr. Gottman says, that in your times of crisis and conflict and trials, instead of forgetting, remember. Remembering is the solution. And in the same way, remembering is the solution. In Deuteronomy 6.10, it says, God will give you a, a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled of all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olives and groves that you did not plant. You see, there's a trend here. There's a reminder that the reminder is that it's God's provision in their lives. The writer reminds them God has already come through God will come through. God already came through to, to rescue them from slavery. They may not be in Canaan yet, but they are out of slavery. And the writer here is confident that they will get there, that there will be deliverance, that they will be at a better place and a better life. And that better place and that better life will be provided not by what they did, not by their own merits and efforts, but by sheerly by the grace of God. The promise is you will enter into this land and you will be surrounded by nothing but goodness. But as a reminder, it's not because of what you did. It's because I am providing those things for you. And if you're anything like me, we get distracted by all the things and all the noise around us. And oftentimes like the Israelites, we forget the ways that God is already come through for us. If you think about it, if you take an inventory there, I, I, I can bet that there's ways that we can think of that God has come through. Maybe God answered a certain prayer in the past. Maybe God fulfilled a particular longing that you were praying for. Maybe the, you were in some kind of trouble that God was graciously merciful. Maybe there was an opportunity that God has blessed you with. I don't know, but I bet there have been moments in your life when you look back, you can truly and honestly attribute it to God's faithfulness in your life. Last week when we uh, went hiking as a church, I promised myself that I would hike differently. Uh, oftentimes my uh, way of hiking is uh, I'll just be at the bottom, I can see the top, and I just trek up there. I just go because uh, I just want to get to that final destination. But what I promised myself this time is that I would take moments where I would rest, where I would look back. And there was something so beautiful. I, and I don't know, maybe you've already done this or maybe you should do this. The next time you go hiking or you're on this walk or a journey, just stop and, and just turn around. And when I did that, I, I noticed like 
my location, where I was, the, the, the path that I went on, the beauty that surrounded me, uh, the, the trail that I covered, and there's things that I often realize I miss because I just go straight shot from point A to point B. But when we look back, we see God's beauty. We are reminded of who God is and God's nature and God's desire for us and our lives and our flourishing. And if nothing else, when was the last time we have taken inventory of the amazing people in our lives, loved ones, people, experiences that we've experienced? even resources and possessions that you might have. And of course, we all have different capacities of those. But most of you, uh, including myself, have a roof over our head, have food to eat, have community, have some family. And the reminder is, in Deuteronomy, hey, when you look around of all the wonderful things you have in your life, do not forget, it's not because of you. It's because of God's faithfulness, God's promise in our lives. And so, as we look for hope in times of crisis, in times of trial, and maybe it's right now for whatever reason, may we trust in God's promises, that God wants you to thrive. God wants you to bring you up, just like the Israelites, out of Egypt into a place filled with milk and honey, the promised land, a, a life of beauty and flourishing and joy and peace and comfort. It may not happen immediately because that's, that's not God's timeline. Our timeline and God's timeline is different, and I know sometimes that's frustrating, but in our waiting... May we remember, may we, may we meditate on the ways that God has already proven himself. In ways that God has already shown up in our lives. In ways that God has already rescued us. And if you look around, you can already see the blessings that you have. And again, God's reminder is, it's because of God. at the center of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is that death does not have the last word. New life does. Resurrection does. Eternity does. And that's the life that God promises you as followers of Him. And so would you trust that no matter what you are going through, May you remember in the vastness of God's promises for you that we can trust God and that God is trustworthy. So stay the course to wait well, to in, in your waiting to remember the ways that God has provided and has given you abundantly. May we not forget that. May we look back, not only just look at our what's going on in the present, but to look back in the way that God has come through. And just like in your relationship, as noted by Dr. Gottman, things start to flourish and thrive. May we be that 
Let's pray, God, thank you for your promises. And may we trust in your promises because you have shown up time and time again in our lives. So help us not to forget that and forgive us for the times that we do. It's so easy with the noise and all the things that are happening in our lives to just forget for the ways that you've shown up. Remind us how much you love us, how much you've provided for us, how faithful you've been. So we can carry that on to move forward to the life you want us to live. We thank you in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in worship.